This past Wednesday, we had an unction service, a healing service. And it was the most people we have ever had for a non-divine liturgy, non-Holy Week service. I sensed that we needed healing on a deep level. And it seemed to be the case. It was a beautiful service with example after example of context of how to live a life of faith, how to unite heaven and earth, not too heavenly minded to be of no earthly good and not so practical, I'll do it myself, which borders on unbelief. We join our faith with God's power and we witness healing and change. It's not always evident what that looks like in practice, however. That is why the church has given us the liturgical calendar to inspire, to teach, to show examples of men and women who got it right when it comes to faith. Oftentimes, we mistakenly idealize what that looks like. Heroic men of women of faith being dipped in oil, dying by the sword, from wealthy parents, well-educated, giving all away all they have. And we never really get to know them as a person, to see the foibles, their humanity, the uncertainties that they faced. That is why the story of the prophet Elijah is so refreshing. We celebrated prophet Elijah two weeks or two Saturdays ago. But from Elijah, we get a complete picture of the man and the challenges he had to overcome. Let's first look at the context. He was in the 9th century BC and by the 9th century BC, the kingdom of Israel, once united under King Solomon, was divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, which retained the historic seat of government and focus of the Israelite religion at the temple in Jerusalem. Omri, king of Israel, continued policies dating from the reign of Jeroboam that were contrary to the laws of Moses that were intended to reorient religious focus away from Jerusalem, encouraging the building of local temple altars for sacrifices, appointing priests from outside the family of the Levites, and allowing or encouraging temples dedicated to the Canaanite god of Baal. It sounds like they were losing their focus. Omri achieved domestic security with a marriage alliance between his son Ahab and Princess Jezebel, a priestess of Baal and the daughter of the king of Sidon in Phoenicia. Notice that he achieved security for the land by this unholy alliance. These solutions brought security and economic prosperity to Israel for a time, but did not break peace with the Israelite prophets who were interested in a strict Deuteronomic interpretation of Mosaic law. 
As King Ahab exacerbated these tensions, Ahab allowed worship of a foreign god in the palace building a temple for Baal and allowing Jezebel to bring a large entourage of priests and prophets of Baal and Asherah into the country. It is in this context that Elijah is introduced in 1 Kings 17.1 as Elijah the Tishbite. He warns Ahab that there will be years of catastrophic drought so severe that not even dew will fall because Ahab and his queen stand at the end of a line of kings of Israel who are said to have done evil in the sight of the Lord. So now we begin to see Elijah's role and what he begins to do as a prophet. And it starts out with the widow of Zarephath where he goes out and finds this widow and she is about out of food and he promises her that her oil and her flour will be unending if she believes in God and as a matter of fact that is the case. But then her son dies and she says, now you've come here to kill my son? Now what am I to do? And here Elijah is looking not so sharp. Here, if Elijah was a prophet and the sun dies, what's going on? So Elijah is a bit uh, desperate. He's a little unoriented, but he prays and the sun is brought back to life. So he acted in faith in the midst of circumstances and the woman's daughter, woman's son was given back to her, which was very important because they relied on their sons for old age security. So she was really facing a difficult time without having her son. So then, after three years of drought and famine, as had been prophesied, God returns to Ahab and announces the end of the drought, not occasioned by repentance in Israel, but by the command of the Lord, who had determined to reveal himself again to his people. Well, on his way, Elijah meets Obadiah, the head of Ahab's household, who has hidden a hundred prophets of the God of Israel when Ahab and Jezebel had been killing them. Elijah sends Obadiah back to Ahab to announce his return to Israel. The fast ends because God wants to give the people another chance. So he's sending Elijah into the den with a message for Ahab. And he confronts Ahab. And Ahab, who refers to Elijah as the troubler of Israel, uh, Elijah responds by throwing the charge back at Ahab, saying that it is Ahab who has troubled Israel by allowing the worship. So here we have a man who has to confront the local political leaders of the day. Never an easy task. But in order to prove that he is from God, he confronts the people and says, okay, you have your God Baal, but I say God of Israel is the true God. Let's have a test. So they build two altars and say, call down the fire on your altar. And they call and call and call and nothing happens. And Elijah finally says, okay, my turn. Come and drench my altar with water. And you will see the power of the living God. So Elijah steps out in faith. He has a test. And of course, we know the story. 
It goes up in flames. Everything is consumed. God of Israel is vindicated. Now Jezebel didn't like that. She's the wife of Ahab. Remember, Ahab is Jewish. Jezebel is a priestess of the God of the Baals. So she puts out a death threat on Elijah. And Elijah, of course, flees for his own safety, fearing for his life. And what happens to Elijah is he gets depressed. He's lonely. He's hungry. He's out in the wilderness. And one day he was sleeping and an angel wakes him and tells him to eat. So he eats and immediately falls back asleep. A while again, he's woken again and finds bread and water and eats some more and is told that he's going to be going on a long journey. So we see a man in the wilderness, and wilderness can mean loneliness, it can be lost your way, it can be depression. He was all of those things, but God ministered to him. He didn't abandon him in his difficult time. He didn't solve it, but he didn't abandon him. He comforted him. So Elijah travels for 40 days and nights to Mount Horeb, where Moses had received the commandments. Elijah is the only person described in the Bible as returning to Horeb after Moses and his generation had left Horeb several centuries before. And he seeks shelter in a cave. Now, when we are in the desert and we are lost in our spiritual lives, we're looking for a word from God. We're looking for a sign to feel His presence, to reinforce our faith. So Elijah is there in the cave waiting to hear from God and what happens? Well, a terrible wind passes outside the cave, perhaps a tornado, but God was not in the wind. Then there was a great earthquake that shook the mountain, but God was not in the earthquake. Then a fire passes the mountain. Fire was one of the signs of God with Moses in the desert, but God was not in the fire. Then a still small voice comes to Elijah and asks, what are you doing, Elijah? Elijah again evades the question and his lament is unrevised, showing that he did not understand the importance of the divine revelation he had just witnessed. God then sends him out again, this time to Damascus, to, to, to anoint Hazel as king of Syria, Jehu as king of Israel, and Elisha as his replacement. So this illustration of Elijah shows a man of faith, the ups and the downs, the failings, the uncertainties. God doesn't abandon him. He doesn't get it right, right away, every time. But God knows our hearts. He also knows our hurts, our circumstances. He knows we want to get it right. But what that looks like is not always clear or evident. We can easily be too passive, let God do it all, or we can easily be too aggressive and take control. Say a prayer and pass the ammunition. What we realize is there is no script. 
Life is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived, said the late Bishop Gerasimus. Live that mystery in Christ and work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You have the church to encourage you and guide you and support you and correct you. But at the same time, you are the church and your life matters to God, to us, to yourself. Believe, obey, and act. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.